you would get your Bibles, open up to the Gospel according to John chapter 4. The Gospel according to John chapter 4. You know, when we, uh, how good are we at following rules when we're emotional? How good are we at following rules when we're emotional? How many of you have ever made an agreement with your spouse? Okay. You, you sit down with each other because a really bad circumstance happened based on something that one of the two said, and you sit down and you come to an agreement, I promise I will never say or do that again. Then you get emotional one day, and what happens? Just did what you said you wouldn't do again, right? I mean, I could stand here and say that I won't punch a person in the nose. Now, can I stand here and say that there is no circumstance under the sun that I won't punch a person in the nose? It's kind of a little bit of a difference there, right? This is all going to boil down to worship. This is what it's going to boil down to. Okay. Now, the idea is this. We live in a country now that confuses emotionalism with worship. Now, it's not that there is no emotion in worship, okay? But emotion never provokes worship. In other words, that last song, I love it. I love to play it in my truck and sing it. I love that song. If I came in here feeling terrible, who knows why, and I hear a song that all of the sudden makes my day, is that worship? Now, you can be encouraged through it, and you can become emotional as a result of worship, okay? But don't think just because you start tapping your foot because you like the beat of the music that you're worshiping. Don't even think that even though those words are coming out of your mouth, that you're worshiping. Because worship isn't something that happens just inside of a sanctuary. Worship is something that happens 24 hours a day, seven days a week for someone who's a believer. So my question is this, if everything about Jesus that you already knew didn't make you happy, why when you came in and listened to a song, was you all of a sudden happy? Nothing changed about Jesus, did it? He was the exact same person to you before you walked into the church, right? So why did the song make you feel better? It could be because songs remind us, right? So I'm not throwing everybody's emotional experience from a song under the bus, but I am saying that in this country, it is huge to do so. To say, hey, look, my hands are in the air, therefore I'm worshiping. The hands in the air makes Baptists uncomfortable. I'll tell you something, though. Pentecost has pushed us way too far backwards. I not only learned to get used to, but I enjoy being called Bapticostal. Why am I Bapticostal? Because I'll dance. Well, I ain't dancing. I ain't move my feet. <laughs> Old Mark Lowry joke. 
but I'll dance. I've told you guys this before. I'm going to look at Scripture. I'm going to trim it down as close to the line as I can get it. I don't want to step off on one side any further than I want to step off on the other. So does the Bible say don't dance? No. Now I've got to take all of the Scriptures and I've got to pull all this stuff together and say everything that the Bible says says what? It says I shouldn't dance with another man's wife. It says I shouldn't dance with another person that's not associated with me but it's perfectly fine for me to dance by myself, apparently in my underwear. It's also perfectly fine. It's also perfectly fine to dance with my daughter. It's perfectly fine to dance with my wife. It's perfectly fine for us to dance. Dancing isn't the issue, folks. What is it? The issue is we can't control our emotions. That's the issue. Do you think it's ever a good idea for a man to rub up against another woman's body that is not his wife? No. And even when it comes to hugging people, we better be careful because it's easy just for a second for your emotion. How many of you guys know lust is emotion? It is. And we got to be very careful to prevent that emotion from provoking something it should not provoke. And emotion should not be provoking worship. Emotion should not also be controlling people. And we're going to see exactly how that applies in here. My eyes are getting worse, so I'm doing fine. If I have to get my phone here in a minute and read it off the, off the phone, you'll know what's going on. I'm just getting old. It's about time for those buy things, the bifocals. So take a look at chapter 4 of the Gospel according to John. And let's start reading with, with uh, verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Um, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near uh, the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son uh, Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, we've got to get a little bit of a preface here. Give me a little bit of an idea of what's going on. First of all, it said Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Is that true? This is an interesting use of words here. It wasn't that he had to pass through Samaria because he had to pass through Samaria to get to where he was going. It was that he had to pass through Samaria because he had a lesson to teach. Okay? Now, this is something that means something entirely different. Why? This is the reason. Jews were not allowed to step foot on Samaritan property. You have broken the law as the Pharisees of that day seen it. If you cross the property of a Samaritan, you are not supposed to have any association with them whatsoever. Was a man talking to another Samaritan woman okay? It's not okay for Jewish men to talk to Jewish women anyway, unless they're married to them or they're in their family. It doesn't happen. But we're about to see Jesus break a whole lot of rules. Why? Because those rules weren't rules that God made. Those were rules that were based on the emotions of the Pharisees at the time, creating the instance to do whatever it is that they wanted to do. To put more pressure on the shoulders of people, to make them feel the pressure of legalism. And emotionalism is the result of legalism. In other words, if you feel good 
based on your ability to do good, or you feel bad based on your ability to do bad, you're off your rocker as a Christian. (laughs) Do you think that Jesus can love you any more than he does already? Then what are you trying to do? Do you think that he will ever hate you? Do you think that he will ever love you less than he loved you the day that he poured his blood out for you? Is there anything in your life that can really make the heart of God look at you worse or look at you better than he looks at you right now? My Bible says you have the imputed righteousness of Christ. When the Father sees you, who does he see? The imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ means when God sees you, he sees his son's perfect sacrifice. If we really believe that we're going to go do what we're going to do and God's going to high-five us with some extra money this month, you know what, if he does, that's entirely up to him, right? But that is not something that we as individuals lay out on our calendars because we know it doesn't always work that way. He does always bless people who are obedient and faithful, but it doesn't always mean, and I believe wholeheartedly because the Bible speaks very clearly about this, every bit of it has to do with intent. Do you do what you do from a worshipful spirit or do you do what you do for a return to yourself? Because if we're doing what we're doing for the right reason, God's the one who's responsible to give us the return, amen? So why are we worried about the return? Do we think that God's going to Indian give us, pardon the term if it's it's offensive? Do you think he's going to, is he going to be that? I'm enough Indian to be offensive to myself, I guess. Do you think that's who God is? Is he going to tell you you can have one thing and then turn around and change the rules before he actually gives it to you? Or withdraw it altogether? Is that who he is? That's not who he is. Why? Because he's a God who doesn't operate on emotion alone. So look what we see here in verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. First rule broken. Actually, two rules broken. Jesus just spoke to another woman who was not in his family, and two, she was a Samaritan woman. So this is on top of the one he already broke by being on the property. He wasn't supposed to be there at all, remember? Verse 8. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and has sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, that the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. What do you think that well of water that springs up looks like? 
when it manifests itself in the life of an individual, what do you think that spring of water that overflows looks like? It's emotion. It's emotion. But the difference is this emotion is triggered by Jesus being the one who is depositing the water in the first place. In other words, he says, you can continue to drink of that water that just continues to make you thirsty. If that's what you want, if that's the, if you want to continue to drink the water, in other words, folks, here's the deal. If we create worship, then we have to create it every time we experience it. But if you just live your life for Jesus, you never leave the worshipful state. You don't have to create anything to get there. It's even, to be honest with you, if you create it, it's a mirage. It's not even what it looks like. To be, it's not even what it looks to be. And there's a huge difference here. People say, well, that's splitting hairs of semantics. No, it's not splitting hairs, and it's not semantics. My question is this. If it always comes from God, then why can we sing a song and cry in our car, but we can't jerk a tear over one lost person in our life? And I'm not standing up here saying that Christians are bad people. I know they're not. I know if somebody has given their life to Jesus, they really want to do the right thing and they really want to know what the right thing is. You know what worshipful emotion looks like? When you see someone who just lost their spouse and it breaks your heart to the point that you want to cry with them. Or someone who lost a child. One of the hardest funerals I ever did was for a baby that was two months old. Man, almost every situation in life, I can pull out some kind of an encouraging word. How in the world do you do it with a two-month-old baby? You see, when Jesus puts it in us, we can't help but overflow Jesus. And the truth is, folks, most of us, we go through our lives with a worship experience that we've created from our youth. I'm not faulting anybody for this. This is the rut that our church society has fallen into. You want to be emotional? Cry over the lost person. Cry over the babies that are still being aborted in this country. Cry over the fact that there are genuinely little boys and little girls who are being sexually mutilated for somebody else's emotional gain. Gender reassignment. Hey, 40% of people who are confused about their gender, they commit suicide. So let's go force them into a surgery and then see how that turns out. Guess how it turned out? 40% of them commit suicide. It changed nothing. The only thing that it changed was the opportunity for that person to settle in their mind at some point in the future and to be what it is that God created them to be. Because once you're mutilated, you're mutilated. And they're given medication that do it to kids at 14 years old. You want to get mad? 
That's worth getting mad about. What are we complaining about? Gas prices. Have you seen your electric bill lately? And we wonder what's going on in the world today. Jesus was not a rule follower. <laughs> Unless they were his or the father's, he was not a rule father. He, he didn't care what other people thought about where he went, about who he talked to. He didn't care. Why? Because he wasn't worried about the fallout from other people's emotions. He had compassion for a woman that he crossed that property for. I believe she was 100% of the reason that he stepped on that property in the first place. Whoever drinks of this water will get thirsty again. You ever felt like just not going to church? Or just not doing something that God told you to, or you find it a burden when God asks you to do something at some point? We're all human beings. We all get there. Have you enjoyed worship the way that you've experienced it in your life? And it's okay for you to say yes. But what if I stood up here and told you today that it could even be better? Because true worship comes from faith. Why? Because with faith, what power does even death have? We get scared all the time. Of what? How big is our God? There's plenty of things that he's given us to worry about that we can impact. And then there's plenty of things in our lives that we can't impact, no matter how hard we try. But it comes down to this. You can either have it like you've had it, or you can have it the way that God wants you to have it. And the truth is, you deserve exactly what you choose. And I don't say that to be mean. I say from your perspective, you deserve exactly what you choose. Because either life is going to be hills and valleys... Or we're going to understand that the hills and valleys are a misnomer because Jesus straightened it out. And even though Satan tries us to convince us that we're going into these valleys, we know better because we know that if we're going into a valley, that Jesus has a reason that he wants us there. And we better stop fighting so hard to get out of the valley and start paying attention to why he put us there. A valley is not something that should control us emotionally. A valley is an opportunity to pull someone out of the muck. Celebrate recovery. This is a great opportunity. Do I want to make people feel better? Yes. What's the first step in that? Jesus. 
I can guarantee you there is no program worth its salt that pours a whole bunch of people into a building and starts the entire thing off based on a musical. Jesus should be the foundation. He should be the structure of the building. He should be the intent and purpose of everything that we do. And even though we will temporarily lose our minds occasionally, it's temporary. Because with this relationship, this worship, means we can't help but honor and glorify him. We can't help but be in awe of all of the things that he's done for us, the things that he's promised us. And if we're really in this relationship and have seen him move in our lives and seen him do the things that he's done, then how often should you be compassionate, joyful, happy, why do you suppose every Christian on the planet just didn't automatically get the application of life at its fullest? Is every believer on this planet right now living life at its fullest? It's not. Must be Jesus. He's a promise breaker. He didn't really have the stuff to do it. He should have never said it. Is it on him? No, it's not on him. Now, I fully agree that he knows who he called. And I have just as many aggravating attributes about me as I may have charming ones. Maybe more. Depending on who you ask. We're not perfect, but we're all striving in this journey to be perfect. Not because perfection is what's required of us, but because we realize that there's a big difference between cutting brush with a sharp pair of shears and a dull pair. And if we are going to be something that God's going to use, we have to be sharp. We have to be ready to put, be put to the task. And I'm here to tell you, folks, don't think you can be a believer and not serve and be happy. You can't. It's impossible. Every believer, how many gifts did they get at least? One. Every believer got at least one gift. How many believers did God give zero gifts? None of them got zero gifts. So how many people should be serving? Everyone should be serving. You serve in the capacity you're called, but did you know, this is, may come as a shocker to you, you can actually serve in a capacity you're not called. That's, that's not a, you can choose this one or this one, and, the, and one of them you're out. That's not the way this works. Could you imagine vacation Bible school if it just had people who were called as teachers? Well, what are you going to do with your snacks? What are you going to do with your recreation? What are you going to do with... God gave everybody a gift. He knew what he was doing when he gave it, and everybody's gift employed actually moves a massive mechanical machine that leads people to Jesus Christ. Emotion, emotion, emotion. You know how many people stop going to church because of emotion? They get mad. Maybe it's a preacher. Mad at the Sunday school teacher. Mad at the guy across the seat from them. Mad at the person who took their chair. I don't know. Because we know that 
God's will is for people to get angry at other people inside of a church for no justifiable reason whatsoever so that it can absolutely destroy any opportunity for discipleship in those individuals' lives. That's God's plan. It's ingenious, right? Sounds more like it came out of somebody else's playbook. And when do we get to be the person who it dawns on and we go, oh, wait a minute, this doesn't quite match. Because your life in Christ should have everything in the world to do with the way that you live your life in your happiness and in your compassion and in your fear. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me the water and I will not be thirsty. So I will not be thirsty. Nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. So this guy walks in, recognizes a Jew, speaks to a Samaritan woman, and in his conversation with this woman, he says, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, you, you spoke it true. You've had five husbands. One of the other gospels, actually, it goes on to say, and the one that you're with right now isn't your husband. So I want you to hear what Jesus was saying. You've slept with five men in your life. <sighs> How far do you think a, even a Samaritan woman will go to make sure that nobody knows that information? I mean, reputations start running around when those things start flying, right? And we know that this is what it was because how does this woman respond a little bit, little bit further down? She runs into town and says, I've seen him, the Messiah. He told me everything that I've done. Of course, paraphrasing. He's told me everything I've done. When she said everything, you know what she meant? Even the things I do in the dark, even the things I hide from everyone else, he knows about them. Jesus pulled out a copy of the Torah, smacked the lady across the head with it. I, maybe he should have just avoided Samaria altogether. Amen? That was the Pharisees' suggestions. I mean, that's what they need to do, just avoid it altogether, right? And, and what kind of a Samaritan woman who sleeps around with guys deserves to even have Jesus' carbon dioxide exhaled on her body? Jesus wasn't a, he wasn't a rule follower. Not other people's rules. Do you remember he was criticized for going in and eating with sinners and publicans? Because Jesus knew where the lost people were. He knew where the people who would listen to his story were. 
And they were the people who were considered the dregs of society. Verse 19 says, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you people say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. I want, you to, I want you to read these last two verses with me again. Verse 22 and 23. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, do you get this? The Father seeks to be his worshipers. Folks, if you think Jesus just wants you to worship him when you come to church on Sunday, fall way short. And to be honest with you, if all you're worshiping is on Wednesday or Sunday, oh boy, are you missing out. And I'll stand up here and say it again. I'm sorry for anybody who's ever lied to anybody to keep them out of church. Because any man who presses weight down on another person's shoulders, you have to have your hair this long, you have to wear the right clothes, you have to smell okay, be careful. The lists, the rules, everything that you've got to follow. No piercings, no tattoos. I have friends who are Southern Baptist youth, youth ministers who were kicked out of their pastorates because somebody saw a tattoo on their forearm. They were an airborne ranger! And got kicked out for be for having a tattoo. Anybody ever meet a ranger that didn't have a tattoo? I've met a lot of airborne rangers in my lifetime. I've never met one with that. Because there's actually an airborne ranger tattoo. And every airborne ranger gets it. It goes right across the forearm. Jesus doesn't want to create more pressure for us. He doesn't want us to fight him. We only fight him because we're fighting what we don't know. If God's going to seek out people to worship him, is he going to seek out the part-time worshipers or is he going to seek out the full-time worshipers? According to that, it's the full-time worshipers. It's the individuals who have made Christianity a genuine part of their entire lifestyle. It's not just part of life. It is life. Jesus is in, in, he's intertwined in everything in an individual's life who has made him everything. That's why he affects the way we talk. He affects the way that we walk. He affects the way that we act and interact with people. We start talking about the Father seeking out worshipers. And he's given us really a formula for exactly what it is he's looking for. 
does that look like? Worshiping in spirit and truth. Not in the truth only. And not in the spirit only. But it requires both of them. Why? Do you guys know that the North American style of speaking in tongues is absolutely not theological? No biblical basis to it at all. Spiritual? Amen? I mean, you can turn some denominations, churches just completely on their head by one person taking off in tongues, right? What happens when you put the truth into it? That means now that has to be backed up by the Bible in order for it to be affirmed, correct? Here's what I find in the Bible. Three forms of tongues. The miracle of tongues. Exact same thing that happened on the day of Pentecost. The Bible records for us that these individuals did not speak in glossolalia. These individuals spoke in their own languages. But when the words rested on the ears of the hearer, it was translated mid-air. It'd be like me speaking in English, somebody speaking German, French, Russian, standing around me, and me just speaking in English. You stand, you sitting there listening to me, you could hear me in English, but every one of them guys could hear me in their home languages. That's the miracle. Then there is the tongues of angels, which was never intended to be spoken out loud. The tongues of angels is the fact that the, the Spirit has promised that he will translate to us anything to the Father that we feel or know. In other words, anything that impacts you. How many of you guys have ever hurt so bad for someone or even because of the circumstance that you was in that you just couldn't put it to words? When that happens, the Spirit is translating that to God and God's up there going, you don't even know what to say. And God's going, I hear you. I got it. I know exactly what you're talking about. That's the tongues of angels. The tongues of angels means that we communicate with God 100% of the time, but it's not something we run around speaking out loud. The third one, tongues of a tribe, nation, and people. This is the most prevalent kind. We've had people come into the church before, and they're like, boy, I almost spoke in tongues, preacher. Well, I'm glad you didn't. Well, wait a minute, why? Because we all speak English. In the Middle East, where, where this was at, you had people could have been speaking up to five or six languages at the same time. And people traveled all the time. So if, if we had people in here that spoke Spanish, and we had people in here that spoke English, then how is the people who speak Spanish edified if I only preach in English? So when he said, when he said, let no one speak in a tongue without a translator and never more than three at a time, He's talking about translating the language. When I go to Mexico, we go to Puebla. I've uh, been there four times. We'll go to Puebla. I get to preach, and I, I love it. I love preaching in Puebla. It's kind of hard. It's weird because you've got to preach a sentence, then your translator translate that sentence. So the, as fast as my brain kind of pours into itself, it's really hard to speak a sentence, stop, let him translate that sentence, and then pick up where you left off and say just another sentence for him to stop and translate that sentence. So it's kind of something that's really weird and hard to get used to when it comes to the... the and by the way, all our English words don't translate the same, which I found is completely and totally odd, awkward. But the thing is this. 
if I went to Pueblo, Mexico and stood up there for an hour and spoke in English and had no translator, how would the church be edified? God is not some mystic religious being. Okay? Get that out of your head right now. God is not a mystic religious being. God is God. When it comes down to when it comes down to everything that God's asked us to do and everything he's asked us to become, please hear me out. It has nothing to do with him controlling you. Nothing to do with him controlling you. He has a purpose. And how many of you guys have ever heard this cliche statement? God has a plan for your life. You ever hear it? You know what? As cliche as that has become, because so many people have said it, do you know why it became cliche and so many people have said it? Because it's true. That's the only things that become cliche are the things that remain relevant. Amen? God doesn't want me to sit down and speak English to somebody who speaks Spanish. Why? Because it has no purpose. Unless he decides he's going to miraculously translate that like he did on the day of Pentecost, he has a purpose. He wants the Hispanic to understand what I'm saying and the person who speaks English to understand what I'm saying. He doesn't want individuals to be reactionary. He wants us to be people who are steady fundamentally foundationally steady spirit and truth and I'm going to close with this I've already said don't settle for just one because one won't do it worshiping God in spirit and truth it not only has an application in the way that we look at the world but it also has an application in the way that you look at yourself You ever lied to yourself? We're pretty tricky people. Half of this is easy. It's the spirit part. Anybody want to know why the spirit part is easy? Because honestly, you can't control it. The truth part's hard. Why? Because sometimes it requires for a, a person to reflect inwardly. To take a look in here at your own heart. And this is me picking in you, okay? I'm not picking on you saying things specifically in your life you're struggling with. I'm just telling you that I know as a preacher you're struggling. Everybody is. In some way or another. Are you willing today to take a good hard look inside yourself and tell yourself the truth. You spend the time with the Lord that you should? Do you spend your day knowing that you pray without ceasing? Do you chew your fingernails because you can't wait to get home and open your Bible? Pray with your spouse. Pray with your kid. 
grandkids. It's a routine thing. We did that with our kids when they grew up. Now, Jameson's. Same house, big enough. I could be right in the middle of something. He'll come up and whisper in my ear, Papa, will you come pray with me? Yeah, buddy, you know I will. Just how full of your life is Jesus? Just how full of Jesus is your life, is my question. Is he in everything that you do? Is he really there? Because if he is, know that he's not there to hit you. If you hear hear any violence whatsoever towards you, or you hear anybody telling you anything about your flaws, it's not Jesus. What he will do, though, is he will expose us to ourselves and allow us to decide whether we have flaws. Truth is, we do. All of us do. All of sin fallen short of the glory of God. Not one person is worthy of heaven apart from Jesus Christ's perfect sacrifice and him making up the distance where we fell short. So if you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, today's the day of salvation. This is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you as an individual to truly know what happiness is and to also begin to understand what life's all about. Yes, that question that even Siri can't really answer. I can answer for you. Believer, spirit and truth. When you look in here and you see the truth, what is it? You don't have to tell me. I don't want to know. He's not compelling me to find out. I don't want to know. But you know he knows. And I'm not asking you to deal with every one of your issues today. But I am asking you to deal with the truth. Don't push it off. Don't soften its edges. Don't try to just pass it by. It's the truth. And if you ask to see it, I will guarantee you something. If you truly ask God to show you the truth, what purpose is there in him not showing you the truth? And it may be an ugly picture that you look back at. Know that you have salvation in Christ. And your salvation is in his hands if you place your trust in him. But the truth is, your happiness is in yours. And it's all about who you see God being. If you see him for who he is... You have nothing to be afraid of. If you see him for who he is, you have nothing to even be concerned about. But we do have responsibility. You want to live through life on the emotional roller coaster? You can have that. You want to live life unable to get those hymn songs out of your head when you're walking through Walmart humming them? You start seeing things like when somebody bumps into you in Walmart instead of getting angry and telling them to watch where they're going you say excuse me? People start snapping at you and you start smiling and giving them happy responses back not smart elgie. You remember because I remember a few times in my life where I remembered everything about this relationship 
and was the happiest I'd ever been. And I can use that for a marker. And I can say, what's different now than it was then? There's only one difference. All of my troubles changed. Application was still the same. He was still the same God, fulfilling the same promise, helping me to complete the same race. When you walk out of here today, which will you choose to be? Happy? Or holy? Amen. Thank you, Brother Keith. And for those listening on the podcast, I want to offer that same opportunity to you to come to the Lord. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus, now is the time to do so. By default, we are all sinners, separated from God, and there is nothing we can do on our own to fix that. That's why God sent His only Son, Jesus, to come live a life without sin. He was put to death on a cross as a perfect sacrifice for that sin. And to seal the deal, He came back from the dead three days later. If you truly believe that and ask Him into your heart, you will be saved. If you're already a believer, this is a great opportunity to recenter your life in Christ. Take these next few minutes in prayer, and I'll be praying for you as well.
Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash BC. Have a blessed week, and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link, with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.